Hello, I wanted to take a moment to thank you for listening and also to explain why you might hear ads like this before, during, or even after an episode. We're a small but mighty team here at Realm, and to help fund our shows, we promote products or services that we think you'd enjoy from a variety of sponsors. If any of our ads interest you, one of the best ways to support us is by visiting the link or using the promo code in the ad. It's pretty much a win-win since you can get some great deals and we can keep making awesome shows like this one. You can also visit realm.fm slash partners for more information about our sponsors and how to access the different promotions. Thanks again for joining us in our corner of the universe. Listen away. Every five minutes, someone dies while waiting for a compatible donor heart, liver, or kidney. On a remote island in Lake Superior, a team of geneticists strive to engineer an animal with human-compatible organs, thereby saving millions of lives. But these ancestors are not the docile herd animals they envision. Instead, the project spawns something big, something evil, something hungry. Ancestor by number one New York Times bestselling novelist Scott Sigler is available for free on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Realm presents The Witch Who Came In From The Cold, Season 1, Episode 30. Three. Tanya was conducting another perimeter sweep of the second floor of the Lichtensteinski Palace when the screaming started. An ancient Slavic curse rose to her lips. The West German security team, which had, until this point, been tolerating her obvious surveillance with bored indifference, hunched forward with coiled intent. Tanya paused, lipstick in hand, and stared a moment longer into the mirror she'd been pretending to use to reapply her makeup. The ballroom. The shouting was coming from the ballroom. Two main entrances, plus the service entrance from the kitchen. Enough of the service staff was in the KGB's pocket that she had to trust they'd divert any escape attempts via the kitchen. Currently, the West German heavies were crowding the first ballroom entrance, forming a wall of well-carved muscle. That left. She dropped the lipstick and sprinted down the corridor for the remaining ballroom entrance. The doors around the corner were closed. Tanya slapped her palms against the metal bar, locked from the inside. She ran her fingers through her bangs, knocking some strands loose from her carefully swept chignon. What the hell was happening in there? She squeezed her eyes shut. Somehow, Gabriel Pritchard had to be involved. Blood. He'd been so slick, working with her to stop the golem. Like they really were members of the same team. She'd been hoping for that, if she was being totally honest with herself that they might trust one another someday. They'd never be outright allies, she knew. But she'd hoped she and Gabe could find the sort of comfortable stalemate she'd settled into with other Western ICE members, like Winthrop. ICE business was ICE business. And to bring up anything regarding their office work was just impolite conversation. It shouldn't even factor into their rapport. 
But of course, Pritchard couldn't ever see it that way. He was a red, white, and blue-blooded patriot, and magic was only slightly more than a nuisance to him. Why had she ever thought it could be more than that? Why would she ever have wanted it to be? And yet, and yet, he'd told her the truth about Isis' stasis program for all of the hosts. When Nadia wouldn't, when her own grandfather wouldn't, assuming his construct had even been created with such knowledge in mind. Gabe had nothing to gain from telling her, short of the momentary satisfaction of rubbing her nose in her own ignorance. It was too temperamental an act, coming from a place of too much emotion for him to even try to exploit it for something more. That wasn't the behavior of a slick spymaster laying a trap. It was the desperate flailing of a wounded animal trying to strike back. Tanya paced back toward the first entrance, where the guards still formed a protective barricade, and approached. Leave a copex-sized gap between your lips. She worked through her mental repertoire. Legs slightly narrower than shoulder width. Shoulders rolled back, dewy-eyed. Peer through your lashes rather than tilt your chin up. Excuse me, Tanya whispered, first in Czech, then, when none of them looked back at her, in German. Excuse me. Excuse me? Fuck off, the guard snarled. No one's allowed in or out. Tanya batted her eyes, but he wouldn't so much as glance her way. Fine, we'll do it my way. She snapped open her clutch and gripped a handful of interwoven herbs and twigs in one hand. Pardon me, Tanya whispered. I'm afraid it's very important that you permit me inside. The guard turned around to scold her again, but his eyes unfocused, as if looking at her only presented a funhouse reflection back at him. His brows furrowed, but the gap had been made. Any effort to look at her as she slipped past him would send his gaze skittering away. It only lasted a few seconds, but that was all she required. Now she was inside the ballroom and staring at a full-blown bar fight. Don't think I've forgotten. Dima, one of the scientist team's minders, growled. His cheap wool tie dangled precariously from his neck like a noose. Blood trickled down one side of his mustache. I remember how you wronged me back in Piter. One of the scientists under his care, Max, Misha, threw his arms in front of his face to defend against a blow. From the shiner swelling around his right eye, it looked like it wouldn't be the first of the evening. I swear to you, I didn't mean it. If I'd known you liked her, enough. Dima, you are a pig with drink and women alike. Kostya staggered in between them but he was too slow to avoid the emptied bottle of Shvetskoy Shaponskoy Dima swung at his temple. Tanya had mere moments to decide. Did she intervene and undoubtedly blow her cover in front of the substantial crowd that had gathered around the brawl? Or did she stand back and let these minders, these men the Communist Party had specifically tasked with shielding the scientist delegation from Western agents, have their brawl and risk leaving the scientists exposed? And what the hell had gone so wrong that they were turning on the very men it was their job to protect? She rocked onto her back foot, prepping herself to leap forward and try to talk some sense into the minders. 
Then she recalled Sasha's smug face, the way his jowls pushed up when he was particularly pleased with himself, when he knew he had one of his operatives wedged under his thumb. Tanya was already serving a permanent posting in Sasha's thrall, thanks to his discovery of her elemental radio and her subsequent failure to recover it. An incident this huge, on her watch, would surely cost her even more, far more than she could afford around the Prague Residentura. Tanya flinched as the cheap glass bottle shattered and sprinkled the onlookers. All right, that's enough. A contingent of security officers moved in to encircle the brawlers. Tanya gripped her clutch to her chest and shrank back. If the minders were busy duking it out, even dragging some of their charges into the melee, then where had the rest of the scientists gone? Pritchard. Tanya found herself in one of the rare situations in which her small stature actually hindered her. Even in heels, she had to bounce upward to search the assembled crowd. She'd spotted the American earlier, at the reception, looking bored, distracted, rubbing elbows with his puppy friend. Now, though, she was searching for him in the gaps between a heaving sea of faces contorted by drink and the dim chandelier lighting. She swore under her breath. Somehow she knew, knew Pritchard had something to do with this madness. The what and how, though, remained to be seen. The crowd swept around Tanya like rapids, slowly but inexorably moving her toward the front. She looked up and found herself suddenly exposed on the edge of the fray. The fight had spread, that alchemy of drink and violence catching a light and feeding on itself. The security grunts were flecks of water against the roaring flames. Only KGB training and reflexes allowed her to dive out of the way as one of the minders crashed into the glass-topped round table beside her. She threw up one hand, sparing most of her face from the spray of splinters and shards. Her scalp wasn't so lucky. Something warm trickled down her forehead and into the corners of her eyes. Tanya dropped to her knees beside the shattered table, cover be damned, and seized the minder sprawled over the wreckage. Where, she said, spit spraying and blood dripping down her face, are your scientists. The minder's eyes flicked an eerie shade of red and gold as he looked back at her. The only answer he gave was a bone-chilling laugh. Nadia locked the rooftop access door behind her as quickly as she could and ran to the ledge. Sure enough, the bits of crystal hidden in the seams between the stone emitted a faint red glow. She permitted herself one moment to cringe. Then, as the crystals flickered back and forth, fished in her bag for her binoculars and took up Tanya's usual post along the rooftop. So it was going to be another one of these nights then. Briefly, she considered summoning Tanya to meet her, then remembered her partner was on duty for the residentura, watching over the scientific conference. Half the city's spooks were tangled up in that soporific sprawl. Winthrop, too, then, most likely. And Metzen, her KGB double agent out of West Germany. Try as she might, Nadia couldn't think of a single member of the Consortium of Ice she could call on tonight without blowing a cover crashing a banquet or enraging a jealous husband. Nadia dug in her satchel and laid her array of charms on the rooftop ledge.
With a sad twinge, she recalled a night not so long ago when she and Tanya had surveilled this corner together, ready to intercept the construct the flame had sent to hunt the host Andula Zlata. Life was much simpler back then, before Tanya learned about the ISIS stasis program when she wasn't ready for it, before that smug American officer began to meddle in their affairs. Now she didn't have to worry about disappointing Tanya with her grim calculus. The thought should have brought her some comfort, but she'd seen the real fear in Tanya's eyes, the kind of fear that quickly burned off and left poisonous rage behind. They'd try to settle their differences, reached a sort of agreement, but such truces weren't meant to last. Ask Molotov and Ribbentrop. The first of Nadia's charms chimed once more. She settled on her stomach and brought the binoculars up. Then, just as she was about to shift to her side to scan the square, she remembered the charm Jordan Reams had given her. Gingerly, she pulled it from her pocket and removed it from its casing. A soft kiss of blue filtered through one corner of the mica as Nadia held it out before her. She swiveled it left, then right, until she settled on the point where the blue glow was strongest. Then she took a deep breath, cursed the non-existent gods, and whispered an old Amharic prayer. She really hoped Jordan knew what she was doing. Nadia sensed something like a thread pulling in and out of her body, stitching a line between her and the mica square. It wasn't an unpleasant feeling, not entirely, but a little unnerving, carrying a chill through her as the thread pulled tight. Then, all at once, the threading ended with a feeling like a snap. Nadia leaned backward, dazed, and dropped the square beside her on the roof. She blinked the constellation of stars from her eyes and pulled her binoculars up again. Within minutes, the chiming sound grew in strength. The other charms joined it with a series of chirps and glows. Nadia squared her shoulders and watched the far end of Stare Miesto. Out of the twilight alley, a hunkered, unnaturally squared-off figure emerged. Nadia dropped the binoculars and brought herself to a crouch. The flame had made another construct, which meant they believed there was another host in Prague. Someone at the Lichtensteinsky Palace had gotten the bright idea to turn off the overhead chandeliers. As Tanya would have happily told them, had they bothered to ask her opinion, the darkness did nothing to dampen the brawl. If anything, the fighting had grown even more heated, men grunting and shouting, no longer bothering to give reasons why before leaning into a punch. Not that much of anything could tame that storm, now that Tanya knew that somehow, some way, magic was involved in the chaos playing out before her. You are hurt. A West German officer seized her by the arm. She thought it was a West German officer, as best she could tell in the dim light from the table candles, and yanked her upright. The Czech police and paramedics are on the way. Please, allow them to attend to you. I'm fine. Tanya yanked her arm away. You should be subduing those men. I'm afraid they might be. She paused for a moment, concocting a suitable lie. Under the influence of some sort of drug, perhaps your men permitted someone to enter the premises with drugs? The officer's tone hardened. 
No, that cannot be possible. Are you certain of that? Tanya asked. If they take these men to the hospital and learn these men were given illicit substances at an event you were supposed to secure, the officer's scowl deepened. Well, I am afraid it could be rather embarrassing for you and your embassy. Do you not agree? Step aside, someone shouted in Czech. Paramedics, coming through. A squadron of Rena Bezpechnost policemen shoved through the crowd, escorting paramedics with canvas stretchers. The policemen formed a tunnel of khaki uniforms while their commander subdued Dima, the sole Russian minder who had yet to crumple into a delirious, drunken, battered puddle on the ballroom floor. They hoisted the minders and a scientist onto the stretchers with brutal efficiency. Police escort to the hospital, then before being taken into custody. Wait, Tanya pushed her way toward the commander. You cannot arrest these men. They are representatives of the Russian Soviet Federative Socialist Republic. But Gabriel Pritchard looped his arm through the police chiefs and turned him away from her. Tanya's mouth flapped open. This had to be Gabe's doing. He'd engineered this whole distraction. Thanks so much for answering my call, Gabe said, not bothering to conceal the American twang in his check. These men are pretty banged up. Sets a piss-poor example for their motherland, don't you think? The police chief glanced over his shoulder toward Tanya before looking back to Gabe. I am sure that will be for our party representative to determine after a complete investigation. Tanya's mouth worked, but no noise came out. He couldn't be so bold. But no, of course he could. You can't take those men away. They are in the custody of the Soviet delegation. Miss, please, you are in hysterics the West German officer said, moving between Tanya and the quickly departing delegation. I insist that you have a seat. Might I bring you a schnapps to calm your nerves? I don't need your fucking schnapps. Honestly, miss, there is no need to be upset. This situation is handled. Tanya reached into her clutch, hoping desperately that she'd brought her trusty flash bang charm with her. No such luck. Only the invisibility charm she'd already depleted, and her favorite talisman for turning someone ever so slightly to her favor. But she suspected it would take more than an eyelash bat and a limited talisman to get her way tonight. She grabbed a wine glass off the nearest table and threw it in his face. What the fuck? His words quickly dissolved into a snarl of multisyllabic Germanic compound swears. But Tanya didn't stay to hear it. She was too busy chasing the paramedics and VB officers down the stairs. If Gabriel Pritchard thought he could sneak away with a Soviet scientist on her watch, he was about to learn he was sorely mistaken. Are you ready to shop? Rakuten's Big Give Week is back. 
Get 15% back at hundreds of stores. And it's all happening this week, May 6th to May 13th. It's the perfect time to shop for everything on your list for spring and summer, like clothing, outdoor gear, and travel. I know I'm using this week to stock up on some warmer weather essentials at Ray-Ban and Ulta, and I love that Rakuten even helps me save on travel at sites like Hotels.com. Rakuten really is the best way to shop, and you can save even more by stacking cash back on top of deals. Plus, during Big Give Week, that cash back is bigger than ever. With Rakuten, membership is free, and when you sign up and shop today, you get an extra 10% cash back boost. That's an extra 10% cash back on top of the 15% cash back. You won't see higher cash back rates than these. Go to Rakuten.com or download the Rakuten app. R-A-K-U-T-E-N. Shoppers get it. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts. Four. Nadia stuffed her charms and censers and talismans back into her satchel and moved toward the far end of the rooftop. Beneath her was a short alleyway, crowded with garbage bins and old crates. Nothing she particularly wanted to land on, but she could use them to cushion her fall if absolutely necessary. With luck, though, the construct had every intention of coming to her. The square of mica magnified energy, cheaply, while the silver wiring stored it and coiled it up long enough to sustain a decent charge. Based on what Nadia had found in the creatures she and Tanya had already dismantled, the flame designed their constructs to home in on power amplification, the telltale heat signature of an awakened elemental. For a short while, at least, the construct should fix on Nadia the way it would a host, following its instincts to pursue this new source of power and attempt to bring it to its flame masters. At least, Nadia assumed that's how it would go. She'd tried not to let it get that far in the past, but then... She'd never had a tool like Jordan had given her now. Part of her wondered why Jordan had been willing to give her the mica square. What conclusion she'd wanted Nadia to draw. It wasn't like her to give knowledge away so willingly. Did she want Nadia to unmask the flame agents behind the constructs so the ice could neutralize the source? Retribution, perhaps, for their threats against Barvodnar. Or maybe even a witch as stubborn as Jordan realized she could be neutral no longer. With a crunch of pebbles underfoot, the construct lumbered into the alleyway. Nadia stood stock still on the lip of the roof, looking down at the creature. It would have seemed almost comical if she hadn't known its purpose. Long rectangles of stone strung on wiring to give it joints, like a stone scarecrow. 
white phosphorus eyes glowing in a lopsided face. Those eyes scanned upward, searching, homing. And then it began to climb. Steady, relentless, stone crunching against stone as it continued along the straightest path toward Nadia. Nadia swallowed and braced herself. The construct was four meters down now. Three, two. Nadia gripped a handful of twigs bound in grass where it rested inside her satchel and uttered a protective word. The construct's arm swung up and over the lip of the roof. Its face followed, studied her for a moment, head rotating slightly in a quizzical, almost canine expression opened its mouth, and every bone in Nadia's body vibrated, struck by the same bass tone. The strap on Tanya's rhinestone-studded sandals snapped somewhere on the third flight of stairs. She kicked the broken sandal aside and hop unbuckled the other as she ran from the Lichtensteinsky palace, trying to catch up to the fleet of ambulances and boxy VB cars. Fortunately, the guards were working in her favor for once, more interested in keeping people out of the palace than in. No one tried to stop her as she ran barefoot onto the street, empty, save for the ambulances. Metal on metal ricocheted through the cobblestones as a paramedic slammed the last ambulance door shut. Wait! Tanya hiked up a fistful of sequined gown and padded toward the ambulance. Wait! The ambulance's engine turned over with a sputter, then it started down the road with a sharp wail. A thousand curses ran through Tanya's mind. Charms, talismans, she had to have something. Her hairpins were embedded with bits of crystal. Cheap copper wire bound the fake stones to the posts in her ears. She glanced down at the dirt wedged between the cobblestones. Well, at least she knew it was Czech soil. Tanya ripped an earring free with one hand, while the other pulled one hairpin loose. After twisting the earring wire around the hairpin, she jammed the hairpin's end into the gap between the cobbles and uttered an ancient word. A column of dirt and stone shot up a few hundred meters ahead of her as the force of her spell knocked her backward. Tires screeched against stone and something heavy thudded against the metal. Tanya scrambled to her feet, hands still tingling from the ley line energy that had passed through her. But the ambulance had withstood the dagger of earth that her spell had thrust upward. After a few precarious moments of swaying back and forth from the impact, it righted itself and sped on down the street. Tanya whirled back toward the Lichtensteinsky palace, ready to claw Gabriel Pritchard's eyes out. But he was nowhere to be found. She sought the nearest phone booth and dashed inside, hoping she had enough coronas wedged inside her clutch. The coin settled in the phone's belly with a satisfying clunk. Her fingers shook as she spun the phone's dial and cast through her mind for the right code phrase. So many code phrases, so many signals. For Ice and the KGB both. How had her grandfather managed it? How could anyone be expected to manage? The weak ringing sound halted as someone answered. Slushayu, I am looking for Danilov, her voice wavered. Danilov indicated one of the highest levels of urgency. He is supposed to meet me at the hospital. 
He should be arriving soon, the operator answered. We will dispatch a team now. I've already drunk four cups of coffee. Four men. An American man in the canteen is looking at me strangely. What kind of flowers should Danny Love bring? Tanya's knuckles went white around the phone's cord. She wedged herself into the far corner of the booth, out of the reach of the street lamp, just as Gabriel Pritchard and his dark-haired younger friend passed along the other side of the street, strolling along, chatting, as if they'd just watched a particularly experimental play. They were headed in the opposite direction of the hospital. I, I'm very sorry. Tanya swallowed past the lump in her throat. I am afraid I was confused. I was not calling for Danilov. She didn't need a code book to translate the operator's sigh. <sighs> You're really not following protocol here. Is that so? Y yes, I meant to call for Grykovsky. Grykovsky, the observe-only name. Well, I'm sure he'll be along soon. No flowers are necessary. Tanya hung up the phone before the operator could respond. But if Gabe wasn't trying to rush the scientists to the hospital for easy access, then what the hell had that brawl been about? As soon as Gabe had turned the corner, Tanya slipped out of the phone booth. In one direction, Pritchard and whatever he had planned next. In the other, the hospital, where three Soviet minders and one scientist were incapacitated and vulnerable to whatever nonsense the Westerners could concoct. She could tail Gabe, see where he led her, see what else, if anything else, he had planned for this evening. Or she could meet up with the observation team and defuse any threats at the hospital. Tanya shifted her bare feet on the cobbles and headed south toward the hospital. She had a feeling her long night had only begun. Nadia scraped herself off the rooftop, blinking frantically. Gradually, the blur of dark around her settled into distinct shapes. Most important, however, was the shape that was missing. The construct. How long had she been unconscious? Where was the construct? What the hell had happened? Her sensors were still chiming in her bag, but fainter now. The construct was moving away. It must have seen through her ruse and activated some sort of defense system, maybe. Shit. The flame were clever. She'd give them that. But she wasn't done with their servant yet. Nadia wrenched the rooftop access door open and pounded down the staircase. Followed the fluctuations in the sensors west, drawing closer toward the river. Then she saw it, lumbering through the shadows, each step dragging slower than the next. It started across the bridge that spanned the Voltava, but then, the moment it passed above the rushing river, it ground to a halt. Jesus, how do you stand this weather? Roddick ground his teeth together and refused to look at the American seated opposite him in the rowboat. He focused on the rhythmic splish and whoomp of the water as his oars entered it, pushed and lifted free. He'd tolerated men like this before. He could tolerate many more. Certainly, for what they were paying him, he could listen to the usual derision. 
just as he tolerated the rotting stench coming from the blanket-wrapped bulk the size of a man wedged between them in the rowboat. The American cigar puffed to life as he took another pull. It's disgusting, he continued. Like I'm perpetually getting sneezed on by Mother Nature. Jesus, and I thought the Washington humidity was bad. Roddick pretended he didn't understand. He wondered why, when the American had gone to all the trouble to clothe himself in black, a balaclava even, he insisted on lighting that stupid cigar. All right, here we are. Pull up nice and slow. Yes, sir, Raddock muttered. They were not supposed to use names. He never did when he was working these side jobs for the Americans. But this man had introduced himself straight away as Dominic. He feared nothing, this Dominic. Let his country see the Soviet tanks roll in, and then he might learn the true meaning of fear. Roddick brought the boat alongside the steep, windowless wall of the Voltava-facing side of the Lichtensteinsky Palace. They were positioned beneath the balconies that jutted from the ballroom. In the distance, Roddick heard the retreating wail of sirens, and above them, the chatter of a particularly rambunctious party. And yet, the party threw no lights onto the Voltava's surface, as if the power had been cut. No matter. Roddick was not paid extra to understand what was happening. If anything, he was paid not to notice. So when something dark and heavy splashed into the water beside them from the balcony, Roddick said nothing. He ignored the gasps of shock that spilled out of the ballroom. On Dominic's count, he hoisted his end of the blanket-wrapped object up, and together they dumped the contents overboard. The cloud of rot and decay that rose from it burned through Roddick like cheap vodka. But this, too, he could ignore. All was silent for a few moments, save the slow bubble as their package sank to the bottom of the shallow river. Then a new figure emerged, still safely hidden beneath the balcony's cover, gasping for breath. Dominic held out a hand to help pull the man aboard. In his too tight, cheap suit, the newcomer slithered onto the rowboat's floor like a fish. How'd our friends do? Dominic asked their new arrival. The man gasped for breath. All three minders headed to the hospital with a police escort. Another of my colleagues, too. Dominic nodded. That'll keep him busy for a while. Roddick stared at the dance of moonlight across the Voltava and did his best not to hear the conversation beside him. He needed only to wait for Dominic's command. But for now, the American looked content to bask in the glow of a job well done. He reached into his breast pocket and offered a fresh cigar to the man on the bottom of the boat. For when we get you to the safe house, Dominic explained. Congratulations, Max. You're officially dead. You're listening to The Witch Who Came In From The Cold, created and produced by Realm, your portal to another world. Listen away. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we 
are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. The Witch Who Came In From The Cold is created by Max Gladstone and written by Max Gladstone, Lindsay Smith, Cassandra Rose Clark, Ian Tregellis, and Michael Swanwick. Performed by Christine Lakin and John Glushevich. Directed by Dennis Keo. Produced by Julian Yap and Marco Palmieri. Associate Producers Corey Barton and Devin Shepard. Executive Produced by Molly Barton. Audio Production by Literati Audio. Audio Editing by Evan Arnett and Fred Koch. Mixing and Mastering by Jeremy Wesley. Original Music by Katherine Anderson. Find more shows like this on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.